0: Hi, my name is Jimmy Johnson. You are listening to Talking Blues.
1: So we're here in the green room at Buddy Guys. There's a band downstairs playing at a Christmas party, quite loudly, which you will hear. But in front of me is one of my favorite blues artists, Jimmy Johnson.
0: I really thank you for being a real fan.
1: <laughs> well, um, I want to say first of all, happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. You had a, a big birthday recently.
0: We pitched a wang dang doodle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so how does it feel to be 90?
0: I Feel just like it did when I'm 70.
1: In your mind, how old do you think you are?
0: My mind, probably 30 or 40. As far as I can, I can see, you know, somebody else might be able to see something that I don't see because sometimes the, the craziest people in the world think they're smart. <laughs> but I don't see no difference. My
1: That's, mind is very sound. So tell me about growing up. You, you, you grew up in Mississippi. Tell me a little bit about your family.
0: Well, growing up in Mississippi, you would like to think that it was really tough, the things that you had to go through. But it was not really that tough because you didn't know anything else. So I enjoyed my childhood life. But uh, when you look back and think about it, wow, it was a little bit unfair. You work hard, and I probably was... I remember my first day of really working in the field with a mule and a plow. I was eight years old. You know that's that's very young age, mm-hmm. and I was pretty scared. I was scared that um, the wolf, you know, the big bad wolf, would get me. And it was kind of that was that was kind of tough when I first started working in the field by myself. When my grandfather put me out there by myself, it seemed kind of hard. But Th- this was cotton
1: picking, or what, what kind no, of plowing? Plowing. plowing. Okay what were the crops? What are we talking about?
0: Uh, cotton and corn was our major okay. crop.
1: At the age of eight? At eight years old you started doing this? To
0: my first day in the field alone, I was eight years old. Wow.
1: Now you come from a big family. Pretty much, yes. I think you're the second oldest, is that correct, or? Second. Out of 10 kids? Out of 10. And you also, there's music in your family.
0: Well, my daddy played harmonica and guitar, but I don't think it was ever professional. They just played like house parties and stuff like that.
1: Right, so how did music come into your life?
0: Uh, When I was going to high school, they had a piano like in the gym up behind the curtain and that's that's why I started playing. I started playing that, I would spend all my time up behind that curtain playing that piano.
1: What would you play? What kind of things would you play?
0: Uh, the very first thing I learned how to play was my mama done told me when I was in deep the And then I it was blues, really. Right. Then I learned uh, church songs, which is very close
1: to blues. But how would you hear blues? Like, was it, how would you hear music at that time? Was it on the radio? Is that how you got exposed? Uh,
0: my, my uncle they had a Victoria, one of them right. that you had to wind it up. And that's the way I got to hear out the big boy Crudder, John Lee Hooker. And a little later in life we had 15 minutes on the radio, they played blues, 15 minutes out of a day. I think it was five days a week, I don't, I'm not for sure. But anyway, we would always rush to that radio for that 15 <laughs> minutes of blues. Where was the broadcast from? Uh, it was out of Memphis. Oh, Memphis, Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't live far from Memphis. Hollow Springs was about 30 or 35 miles from Memphis.
1: Would you ever go to Memphis? Oh
0: yeah, we rode, we rode the Greyhound to Memphis most of the time, unless you was with somebody and we drove to Memphis.
1: And what was that like for a young kid to go to Memphis?
0: Mm, I didn't really go there when I was real young. I probably was maybe 14 or 15 before I went to Memphis, but it was some other towns around we would go to to like a picnic or something like that. Most of the time, we stuck right there around Hollow Springs. But I went to high school, it was, wasn't in Hollow Springs. It was in Ashland, Mississippi.
1: Okay, so I've heard other people say that when they were growing up in in the Deep South, they didn't think that it was that bad because they didn't know any better. Yeah. But was there anything, like when you say that, was it good or did you just not know that it was bad?
0: Well, when I first became aware of what was really going down, I'm not sure how old I was, maybe six or seven and, or eight. I would ask my mama a lot of questions and she would just say, that's the way it is. Because what would bothered me, I remember, I'm not sure how old I was, but I might have been 10 or 11. And on the farm we was working on, the guy's name was Johnny Maxwell, but we rented the land. We wasn't sharecroppers, we rented the land, and he had a son. And his son was probably maybe four or five years older than me. He was the only kid. And when he got to be 16, my grandfather had to call him Mr. John Alvis. I said, whoa, something wrong with that picture. Hmm. And I asked my mama why, and she just said, well,
1: that's the way it is. <laughs> Did you have much much exposure to white people? Mm, not really, because
0: it, it was... Because uh, sometime I went downtown in Hollow Springs. But there was a lot of other little places around, like Aston, Mississippi, Lamar, Mississippi, Hudsonville, Michigan City, Mississippi, like within maybe five miles or 10 miles or whatever. And it was, uh, you would, every once in a while, you would, but we was taught to, uh, we had to avoid avoid them as much as we possibly could because we had no rights at all. And you you probably tried to stay to yourself. How did you feel about that? At that time, it didn't, like you say, it didn't bother me a lot because I didn't know any better. Right. But uh, when I started getting older, that's when it really hit me. So, whoa, wait a minute. I'm a man just like this person, but I'm less than a man. Always seemed like something is wrong with this. Mm-hmm. And I had made a deal with myself. If there's any way out of
1: this, I am getting out of here. And did you think out of here meaning that all this was happened only in the South? Did you know that if you went somewhere oh, else, yeah. it might be a better Well, place?
0: after I got a little older, because my, my dad had a brother was living in Chicago. Mm, let see. Seven... I was probably eight or nine when my uncle came to Chicago. And he would tell us the difference in Chicago than it was in Mississippi. So that was my dream to get out of Mississippi and get to Chicago.
1: And it was your was it your uncle who's who made you the offer to bring you up here? He the one brought me up here. Okay, so tell me what that was like your first time in the big city.
0: It was uh naturally you're going to get a little bit homesick because mm-hmm. you're in a different environment and you have to uh, learn how to uh, quote with the other other kids because i was a I was a big kid, but anyway sometimes the bigger kids because I was country and they would make fun of me the way I said something right. and but I was smart man I'm gonna learn so I can fit in so I learned how to in and, and maybe after maybe three or four months, I got used to here and it was okay. Cause what was so good about it, I had money.
1: Right, you got a job pretty quickly after you got out here. Three
0: days, my uncle took me to the job where he worked, and the guy told me come back tomorrow. We started at seven o'clock.
1: And this was a welding company,
0: is that? I started off as the chairman helper. You know what shares are? No. Thing that cut steel. Oh yeah, like okay, okay, okay. Those are shares, they call right. them shares. And I did that for maybe six months, and then I was a welder's helper. That's how I learned how to weld.
1: At this point, is music in your life at all? No, no, except a little bit of piano that I played. And, and I, I don't know if a lot of people know that you play piano, because on your albums you tend to feature yourself on the guitar.
0: Well, on my on on my albums, there have been times I played, I just didn't say it,
1: <laughs> cause I I um uh,
0: I didn't want you know what you mean you know what it means hot dogging yeah yeah I didn't want to be hot dogging cause <laughs> I know plenty keyboard players way better than me as far as I'm concerned, and I usually uh, that's a few songs I played on my record I don't I didn't say it on the record but I played I played piano on. One, I played uh, organ on a couple of my records, but I didn't say it was me. But now I play, it. every Sunday I got a gig, I play piano and guitar. They got acoustic piano.
1: And, and for those who haven't heard you play piano, like you're a hell of a player. Pardon? You're a hell of a player when you play the piano. No, no no you know what i saw you play no. just noodling around in 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 norway at the nataden blues festival and the whole place just stopped in their tracks when they heard you.
0: well play. i surprised them
1: yeah you did like no, I, I think everybody them. in that room was just stunned
0: because uh usually uh, say like on my gig i have a piano play with me you won't see me put that guitar down and go play that piano but, that I, I, don't, I don't have to, and I probably can't play piano as well as I play guitar, probably.
1: And that's your first instrument? Yep. But for years,
0: I didn't touch no piano because there wasn't no room for a piano. Like back in the 60s, who, who could play a piano? Because the electric guitars always drowned you out anyway. <laughs> and the only person I know blues was Muddy Water that had a piano player. Right. Then uh, Magic Sam, he came along, he had a piano player sometimes.
1: But Magic Sam was a big deal to you, right? He lived next door to me when he came to Chicago. And he was kind of an influence? Absolutely. Tell me how that happened. I think Sam was
0: 14, he came to Chicago. He was living next door to me. he he was living with his uncle and he had an old guitar he had one string on it and he couldn't afford strings but i had money i bought him some strings and i didn't see him no more in about two or three weeks and i saw man this cat can play 14. Right. and he finally got this record all your love i guess he was 15 or 16 yeah i know you know the record Mm -hmm. And he, he was like a big star. And I was saying, man, I can do that. Because I had played a little bit of guitar because Matt Murphy used to live near me and he had a guitar, but I never owned one. Right. So I could play a little, doo 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 dum dun-da-dum-da-dum, just a little bit. And I decided in 1958 to get me a guitar.
1: And I learned how to play. And you're still working full-time. Yep. Making decent money. Decent money? I'm making, I
0: was a welder, man. <laughs> class A combination welder? Say like a class A combination, but I welded inside. Now, outside is bigger money because I welded in a shop. But, do uh, you know, they don't do too much. They, all, everything now is did by machines and stuff. Because I had to make hot water tanks, tables. I make pillars under the bridge. All that was did by hand. Were you good at it? Oh, a class A combination. How big could you get? <laughs> that was the top. A class A combination welder. That meant I could I do did four kinds. And say a job like that, you'd be making forty or fifty dollars an hour. It was it was big money back then. I well, I don't know how much it was, but I made a big paycheck. Then
1: you were happy. Did you enjoy your job? Uh, not really. Mm. It was a job.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, you said it right. It was a job. Because that's some of the reason why I got what I, that COPD. Right. Because there's a lot of smoke coming off of that. I, I did more art welding, and that's one of the worst kind. Gas, I did art carbonate and gas and brazen. But Artwell is the one where you take the stick and it just melts on down, that stick. And, boy, smoke! That smoke comes right up in your face. Yeah, yeah. But now, you know, people that do well, they wear masks nowadays.
1: How long How long have you had the COPD?
0: I was diagnosed um,
1: Probably six years ago. Oh. Yeah. But it doesn't affect your singing. No.
0: Oh. Sometimes I say I get short wind, and that's about it.
1: Right. No, I
0: don't. I surprise people when I once step up to the mic, and that, my age. What?
1: <laughs> you always had a great voice.
0: That's one thing I was born with, and I did not have to learn how to sing. Like I learned how to play. Right. Was
1: singing. I was a born singer. This comes from the church.
0: I sang in church, yes.
1: And how how difficult was it learning how to play guitar?
0: For me, well, I learned. You know, people how to go to school to learn how to. Well, I guess you know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to school. I learned about it. I was a helper, and I had the helmet. Put that helmet on watch him, and he leave and go on his break. I take it and weld, he'd come back. Wow, you did that? And he said, I'm going to tell the boss. And then all of a sudden, I'm a welder. <laughs> and I was the type of guy, I don't want to sound egotistic, uh, like I'm bragging, because it's not really bragging, it's just the way I am. You were good. I'm, I'm kind of like my daddy. Uh, I'm creative. Because it's like welding like when you're welding, you got a thing here where you ju- uh, judge your heat. Right. And you go down like this. The hotter you get, the faster you can go. But now when the hotter you get, it's subject to burn through. But I, I was probably twice as fast as anybody in my shop, except the guy that taught me.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And we were the only two black people in the, in the shop. And it was probably about 30 others. But I could do twice as much as them.
1: So tell, tell me when you moved up to Chicago, and you said that initially people made fun of you being the, the country kid. But how was it adjusting to the big city life?
0: Uh, it wasn't really hard. Because so my uncle and, and my uncle's wife, which was my aunt-in-law, she taught me a lot, and I'm I'm not type of guy that's stupid, don't know and won't listen. Right. She taught me a whole lot, and my uncle he taught me a lot of do's and don'ts, and I had sense enough to listen. It wasn't really no problem.
1: And you didn't miss other than missing your family, who you brought wound up bringing up here. At my one point.
0: mom and my four younger siblings. Uh, that was I was about. Not quite a year when I sent back at my mom because her and my dad had got a divorce. Oh. And I could not leave her there because how is she going to make it, living with my uncle?
1: Because
0: right. I had another uncle and down there she was living with. And as soon as I got, got straight, I got an apartment and brought my mom here.
1: And how did they like living up here?
0: Well, it's it's hard for me to say, because my mom, she wasn't really that happy, but she her choices was down to zero. What's she gonna do down there in Mississippi? Mm-hmm. And the oldest one was 10. There was four younger siblings. And I was the head of household, but it wasn't a problem because I made so much money. I could take care of them until after about a year then, she was eligible to get on uh, welfare.
1: And I still, I still helped her. Did you, and when, when you moved up north, did you find things very different? Oh, a, a ton of difference, but. Uh,
0: like was prejudice it, a big thing? Oh, about the, the race thing? Yeah. It was so much better, I didn't notice the little bit of racism there was. Because basically, all I stayed was around black people anyway, except when I went to work. Right. I was around white folks, and they would say funny things to me, but it didn't bother me. And the factory I work in, like here I am in my 20s, everybody else was like 30, 40, and 50 years old. So it was, I was one one little Italian guy was around my age, a little younger than me, and me and him was like buddies for a long time. Because everybody
1: else in that shop, I'm telling you, they was old. <laughs> and when did, when did you start to decide to pursue music? In
0: 58. I told you about it. I used to watch Magic Sam when he got to be a big star. And I said to myself, man, you can do this, get you a guitar. And I got me a guitar and I, I enrolled in a school called Boston Music College. Because I figured I, if I was gonna play guitar, I wanted to learn, because if you learn by yourself, you're limited. Because right. a lot of things where you could do, you ain't gonna be able to do because you're doing it backwards. And I had a guitar teacher to teach me the fundamentals of guitar and I only went to that school about six months because he taught me how to play waltzes and polkas and folk songs I just, yeah I, don't, I want to play jazz I don't <laughs> want to play this but he had, I had learned how to play the guitar right
1: and and your main goal was to be playing the blues or R& b or
0: uh well naturally, if you if you learn the jazz the first thing you learn is blues right. You learn blues, because blues ba- jazz is based up on blues. But now, when I first went to this teacher, he, uh, he taught me, how, what, I, what would I say he taught me? He taught me how to, uh, he taught me how to read. I learned how to read some, and he taught me jazz chords. Right, but that's I know blues too. But he taught me jazz chords because blues, you can get by with three chords.
1: Right,
0: average blues, right. not the old blues, but the average blues. But anyway, I learned. His name was Reginald Boyd, and I, that's who taught me the most was Reginald Boyd. And he taught me how he, he made a man out of me because he wouldn't he would not accept half-ass. He wouldn't accept it. Because you want me, he teach me how to play something. Now when you, I didn't go to him but once a week. But downtown, I went two days out a week. He said, now when you come back here next week, you better be able to play what I just showed you. <laughs> and when I go back, I can play it. Then he showed me about two or three things at a time.
1: Because he said, you,
0: you can't learn everything at once.
1: And you're thinking, I'm going to learn and become like Magic Sam, record my a record and become a musician?
0: Uh... Sorta. Of. What well, I it uh it was such a pleasure to listen to a cat, and how famous he was. He get on the stage, man. He is three hundred people going mad,
1: mm-hmm.
0: man. I because I'm a singer. So that's what I was trying to do was learn how to play and sing. And then after I learned how to play and sing, I one time I went, I was. Deeply, I want to play jazz. I want to play like uh, Grant Green or somebody. But I studied a lot of jazz. I know how to play guitar because you see me play blues. Believe me, I know how to play guitar. I'm not as probably, since I got older, I probably ain't as, can't execute as good as I could maybe 10, 15 years ago because my fingers, you get arthritis. You want to know something? If you live long enough, you're going to get arthritis. Right. (laughs) And many other things. Well, cataract is another one. Yeah. Cataract and arthritis, if you live long enough. You might not get it till you're 100. But now, I got arthritis in my fingers, but it's just not extremely bad. I can't, certain cause, I can't, it's uncomfortable to make them, but I learned how to I can one chord I can make it five different ways substitutes for all chords tell me about the first gig you did my first gig yeah my very first gig I played one night and got fired (laughs) (laughs) it was uh, it was a place where little Walter used to play and it was the 4th of July and these people needed a guitar player and my brother said, I know he you know who he is. Mm-hmm. They didn't know he's younger than me, but he was playing way before me. I said, well, well, see, man, he got a little brother. He can play Call him. And I went on the game. They killed me the one night. I knew I couldn't play that well. <laughs> but I went back. It was supposed to be that the 4th of July was like a Thursday, then that Friday. No, wait a minute. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I was supposed to play the three days. Went back the next day, to said, man, you ain't cutting it, man. And another cat from the neighborhood named Odell Camel. Because he played bass with Sam a little later on. So he was kind of like one of these trifling guys. He could play. But he said, well, we got Odell, man. He's going to play. This. I said, okay, man, I understand. I wasn't mad. So Odell, hey, Jimmy, could I use your amp? <laughs> In this case, Odell, no, you're taking my gig, <laughs> no.
1: How, how did that make you feel? I did feel bad. But it made you more determined to get better? or uh, oh, of course. No, I, I knew uh,
0: I had I only been playing. I went to that school six months, and I probably had been going to, to Reginald. I went to that school in January and this was the 4th of July. Like, you know, there wasn't no time on man. the guitar. But I had learned a little bit. But then later on that fall, I got a gig with another guy named Slim Willis. He was a harmonica player. And he told me, he said, well, man... He said, you really don't play that well. He said, but you got good potential. But guess what I had? I could sing. Right. Did you ever think about just being a singer? Just being a singer? Yeah. Oh, I didn't really want to just be no singer. Absolutely not. I wanted to play. I, I sang a lot of gospel. Right. I sang gospel groups, doo-wop groups. I wanted to play. Sam influenced me on playing guitar.
1: And then for a while you went more R&B.
0: If that's what you want to call it, we played what you call top 40. Right. We played blues, but it would be like B.B. King, not Muddy Waters, B.B. King and Bobby Blue Bland kind of
1: blues. How easy was it to break into the Chicago music scene?
0: It was hard. (laughs) Because people knew me. I knew how to play, but they figured no you ain't going to play no blues the lady in France did a record on me that's when I, Alligator and Delmark got interested in recording me they, they just didn't realize no, if I know how to play something else why am I going to back up and play blues right. they figured I wasn't going to do it man I know what I want to do I can,
1: I can switch <laughs> but in your heart of heart what was the music that really moved you
0: Ah, uh, it's hard to say, because I like all music. But it probably was jazz.
1: And then not soon after you started recording albums, you won a WC Handy Award, did you not?
0: Oh yeah, well, when when I went when I went to blues then, that was my heart was in the blues. It wasn't that I thought I was above blues, because that's where a lot of people make the mistake. The system wants you to do that. They want you to feel above blues and leave it there so the Caucasian players can take it. But they can't take it because they can't get it. Right. They try, but it's it's difficult for them because they just don't feel what we feel. You know how you don't feel what the next guy feels? Mm-hmm. Stevie Ray Vaughan was about the closest one I, I heard play. Now, you probably can listen to him. I can listen to them because the my buddy played with me on Sunday, just us two. <laughs> but he's, he's a teacher, he's a music teacher. Mm-hmm. But he, he's my buddy. He, he lives right uh, close to the neighborhood. that He lives in Midlothian, I live in Harvard, like six or seven minutes away. And I've been knowing him 40 years. He's been playing with me on Sundays. We play every Sunday for. I, I played there one year by myself. Then I got him, and he's been there three years. If you heard him play, you said, "Well, mm, he's 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 all right. He's a Caucasian player, but he's all right." It's it's something we feel. Believe me, they just don't feel
1: it. You can you notice that? I'm not sure if I'm in a position to say.
0: Oh yes, you're right. but you are. You listen there is a to the music.
1: I, I, did, I didn't say it was bad. No, no, but I think there is a difference and I think there's, there is um, the history and, and where you come from. but I, uh, I wonder you know, a, a black guitar player coming growing up right now from Boston I don't know if he would be any different. Uh, t- Do well, you know what I mean like, I mean that makes a, a, a bit of a difference, but that's not the, the
0: big thing. Like a lot of people think, oh, you grew up hard. That's why you can play blues. Not really. It's uh, a certain feel that we have that they don't feel. Okay, put it like this. Say like uh, a real Caucasian person, they never felt discrimination from nowhere. They never felt that in life. But all of us, we have felt discrimination all through the years. Because it's always there. It exists up until today. So I don't know if that have a lot to do with it. But uh, I don't like to say things like make it sound like I'm bragging. But guess what? It is what it is. Mm-hmm. You can look at it any way you want. It is what it is. The way I can, the way I kind of feel about it and the way I see it, that uh, black musicians, instead of playing what they read or what they hear, they can create.
1: Right.
0: Because most of the white players, what they're playing, except for Scottish music, uh, classical, but the black musicians are more creative and then you say a duplicator. So that makes a big difference when you can create.
1: Can I ask you when, when you were growing up or when you were in the Chicago scene, did you go see Muddy Waters and Howlin' Wolf? Oh and, yeah. And how did they? How were they to you?
0: Uh, It was kind of like okay, but I I was more into. Uh, In my early days, like in the early 50s, when I first came to Chicago, like doo-wop singers and jazz singers, because they sing with good melodies. But now I like blues, too. But my thing mostly was, I liked most probably was doo-wops and jazz singers.
1: And really, you didn't start recording until you were like 50 years old, right? Somewhere up in there. And once you did, did you think, you were still a a welder, or did you, did you? No, no, I quit welding in
0: 1961.
1: And then became a full-time musician? Yeah. Okay, and then there was a point where you were on the road and something very tragic happened.
0: Oh, yeah, I I don't like to really think about it. Mm, And I really don't talk about it a whole lot.
1: Well, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. No, because it's
0: something you try to forget, but you can't forget it. But I did why talk about it.
1: Right. How I did wished, that change you?
0: I wished I could relive it, but I can't. Yeah, I relive it and I could do different.
1: Right. Can I ask you how that changed you?
0: Uh it didn't really change me a lot. It was it was tough for me to deal with for many moons. And it's still ain't easy to deal with when I, cause it was, you know how something happened, say like you can get a, a wound on you and it heals. But mm-hmm. well, this is something that never heals. It get a little better, but it don't heal.
1: And you walked away from music for a little while?
0: I, uh, I didn't exactly walk away, but I really gave it a thought.
1: Right. And did it take a long time to get to oh, get back to a place where To get,
0: get comfortable back where I could uh because you you know I was grieving mm-hmm. but to get out of the grief is oh man, years 10, 10 years, and then don't be on my mind, but then all of a sudden it'll come back. Right. but it was hard to quote with very complicated and then you think about because I do believe in God as well God gave me talent he wouldn't want me to just throw my talent away go ahead on you you have to brainwash yourself keep on pushing don't stop go head on that's over and done with you can't undo it and ifs if if If. That's what kills you.
1: Them ifs. Right. Because that's constantly going through your mind.
0: But anyway, I survived up to this point.
1: And not even survived, but not too many years ago. Would you say thrive? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, um, why do you still do it?
0: Ah, that's, I mean, I probably would never quit but now if I get to the place like I saw some of the older cats do, where you got to bring me to the stage on a wheelchair and put me on the stage, I think I will quit. I'm not 100% sure. But if I get to that place, I think I'll probably quit.
1: Tell me about working with your brother. You did an album together. Right?
0: Yeah, we did an album together, but I don't like it. <laughs> it was... Uh... It was, I didn't have the material that I wanted and they would not listen to me. I just came off a, a five week tour in Europe and I tried to tell them, man, why, why are we running to the studio four days after I'm off the road, man, with jet lag? I don't have my material together. Now, Jimmy, we got to do this now. Jimmy, we got to do it now. And guess what? The record didn't come out until two years later. I I feel like it's a joke to me.
1: Had you recorded much with your brother? No. That was the only time?
0: Oh, well, I I played guitar with him back in, way back in the day. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you feel like it was a missed opportunity to do something great?
0: Uh, Well, one thing, my brother, he didn't want to do no blues.
1: Right. No,
0: I ain't no blues thing. I'm a soul thing. Man, you're running away from money, man. (laughs) But it boils down to what I was telling you how they brainwash you that blues is low rated. Mm -hmm. I guess you, by you being from Canada, you still know about the, the, the the American system.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, right. we see the American channels, we get the American news. Well, it's... Uh, and we're not liking what we see, now, I'm just kidding.
0: It's bad to say, but remember the word I said, here's what it is? Mm-hmm. It is what it is, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is what it is. If you black and do it, it's nothing, it's, it's not happening. So that's the way the system is. So who do blues? Right. So that's why they keep it, they rate it, keep it low rated, and how do, why do people buy a record most of the time? They burn it up on the radio, and this jock can tell you how good it is, but they're not gonna play mine. They never played "Sweet Home Chicago" until some of the British cats did it. They wouldn't play it on the radio. Crosscut saw they were not gonna play Albert King's crosscut saw. I, I don't like to call names. Till, till one of the British people did it right. Then they played all over the radio.
1: Does it make you angry?
0: No, absolutely not <laughs> No I'd be disappointed I right. figure say well I'm a citizen. why would you go to Britain and get a British and put him over me? I feel like it's unfair but I don't own the radio station if that's the way you feel about it. That's the way it is. I can't change it. If it was my radio station, I wouldn't do it, but what can I say? I can complain, but (laughs) probably ain't gonna do no good.
1: A few years ago, you were inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame. What did that mean to you?
0: It meant a lot, because it made me feel like uh, I was appreciated by somebody. And being in the Hall of Fame, that's from here, up there. Mm -hmm. And it's not because of finance. That don't don't really mean that much to me. And status don't really mean a whole lot. But I feel better about the blues music. At least, I'm in the Hall of Fame, man. Me, B.B. King, Earl Hooker, we're in the Hall of Fame. Now, you think we're not good? We must be. Oh, for sure. But it's... Uh, you remember the song that little Walter made, It's a Crazy Mixed Up World? Mm-hmm. You ever hear that song? Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: what it is, it's a crazy mixed up world. Other than music, what, what do you enjoy? Ah. Uh, what do I enjoy? Do you have other hobbies?
0: Mm, I used to bowl. I enjoyed bowling, but I finally kind of quit.
1: I, I, How I, good were you? Very good. Like, what kind of average did you
0: have? Uh, I got average 200.
1: No, really? Yeah. Wow. That's good. That is good. No, that,
0: that's not a joke. I could average 200. I was the type of guy I picked up all spares. If you pick up all spares and hit a double, and there once, you're just about gonna get 200. <laughs> I could hit, you know how you bowl to hit the pocket. Mm-hmm. Some people that bowl to hit the head pin, but I could bowl and hit the pocket. I was up, up there almost with the big boys. Well, what stopped me from bowling? I made a misstep, and, and the ball swung. The ball and it hit my ankle, and this ankle bone right here. I broke it. And after that, I favored that ankle. And I never could get back into my groove. Oh. That's sad. Yeah.
1: In the 90 years that you've lived, what's the greatest invention of your time? What's the thing that amazes you the most?
0: What amazed me amazed me most? Yeah. That's kind of hard, man. There's so many things that amaze me. Well, when I was growing up, we used to, something happened. Well, get on the mule and go down there and tell Mr. So-and-so that such a happened. Everybody got a telephone. Little kids got telephones. Right. So now that is very amazing. And one more thing is probably uh, how we used to have to write a letter takes six months for it to go to Europe. <laughs> now you write a letter, the next minute they got it. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. And another thing, see, uh, I'm 90 years old. How many 90-year-old people you know that do computers? Mm-hmm. Not many. They're afraid of the technology, It was absolutely no problem for me.
1: You weren't intimidated by it? No.
0: no. Because uh, if you look at it from a realistic point of view, how do you operate a computer? Can you read? Right. Yeah. If you can read, now one more thing you need to do, and I I learned that. I had a teacher to teach me when I first started out. If you can read, you can do it with a computer, but you have to learn a language. So I learned the language. They have some language that will confuse you. Right. Because... Uh,
1: but, I, you know, I think some people are just intimidated by it, by making mistakes. Yeah.
0: They, uh... They look at it, nah, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. If you say you can't do that, you can't do that. But now you don't know what crop, means. I mean there's a word on the computer, crop. No,
1: no, I do know what it means. You know what yeah, crop yeah, is.
0: Yeah. Right, you go to crop to take this out of a picture, yeah, or yeah, stuff yeah. like that. So you learn the language, it's a lot of, so I just about know all of the language. So it's, and I can read. So it wasn't hard me to do no computer. Sometimes, uh, well, naturally I know Windows and, and uh, uh, Mac, right. but uh, most of my stuff I do Windows, because Windows will t- do stuff that a Mac can't do. A lot of people don't know that, like getting videos and blah, blah, and music and all that. You had to have a uh, Windows to do that. But anyway, I learned how to, uh, you get a virus, most of the time I can get rid of that virus. <laughs> it ain't easy. No. But I, I know the tricks to get rid of viruses. I know the trick to keep from getting viruses. So. What do you usually do on the computer?
1: Uh, what kind of stuff do you do?
0: All of my business is on computer and just about everything. Everything on the computer. Except I don't do, uh, I don't do Facebook. People do that on their phone. I don't want to be on Facebook. And on my phone, I hardly ever text. Because my cell phone to me is like the people live by them cell phone. I still got a land phone. If you want to call me, call me on my land phone. I got an answer machine. And when you call me, I will get back to you. And if I'm in my car, you call me on my cell phone. But I don't do a lot of business on my cell phone.
1: Do you still tour? Are you still no, touring I quit.
0: Enough? I quit touring in 2016 with my last tour. I had enough.
1: So you're just playing locally these days? Only local but you still want to play?
0: Oh my goodness, yeah. Uh, And I quit leading the band in 2004. That's when I made money. It's a little bit complicated, but I just got tired of dealing with musicians. So like now, when I get a gig, I give the gig to the drummer, so you get me some cats and play the gig. (laughs) I I cannot be calling on musicians. I can't do that. Dealing with them.
1: Well, I think you've earned that right
0: at this point. Uh, When you you get, say, like, okay, I'm in pretty good shape, but when you get older, your tolerance level Mm drops. You you can't tolerate what you used to tolerate, because, like, my children and my grandchildren, I I helped raise them, but them great grandchildren, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh uh-uh. No, no. I can't tolerate them. I keep them for a half hour. Did <laughs> You come get them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's the best part of being 90? What's the worst part of being 90?
0: Ah, what's the best part? The best part about being 90 is just can look back and say, wow, look where I made it. Mm-hmm. And the worst part of being 90, like you say, you're going to have them little arthritis and them little aches and pains. Gonna, you're going to have those. But mine is the very minimum for my age.
1: You're looking really good. When when, when you think about the successes, and I, I, I hope you think that there were successes, do you look at your life and, and music as success?
0: Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, did, I didn't reach uh, where I could ride around and have a chauffeur, Um uh, live in a mansion with a swimming pool in my house and all that. But I didn't really need all that no way. I've had everything I needed and a whole lot of the things I really wanted.
1: I mean, It sounds like when you when you were doing, being a welder, you made a lot of money. So was money ever a motivating factor in music for you?
0: Well, sorta, of, cause it's gotta be, you gotta live and you gotta get the some of the things out of life you want and you try to get the things that you need, money is always a motivator because you have to have it, but it's not been not the only thing. but like nowadays it don't really matter.
1: And if I came to you as a young musician and said, "I want to be a musician, what advice would you give me
0: uh, it all depend on. Your destiny. Where do you want to go? Do you want to do it just as a hobby, or do you want to really make, make a go at it? If you really want to make a go at it, you got to be one thing. You got to be dedicated, and you got to have patience, and you have to practice. Because if you don't have, uh, if you don't have the uh, will to say, man, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, ain't no use of doing it because mm-hmm. you ain't going to make it. You got to be dedicated. To say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You have to keep telling yourself that and you have to practice.
1: Did you ever, did you ever lose the passion for music?
0: Mm, not really, no. I get a little bored sometimes, but <laughs> not really music because I sit down the jam to myself. Sometimes you practice and sometimes you play for yourself. If I get bored, what do I do? I quit for a while because I tell my I'm taking the mission. I'm tired, and I get on my computer. And I used to make a lot of things, but I kind of quit making stuff. I'd make whew, junction boxes, uh, speakers, cabinets, or whatever, because my daddy was a carpenter, and I know how I could look at this table. Mm. i make one of those.
1: <laughs> is there a philosophy you live by? Do you have any rules that you live by? Uh, plenty of them. Any you can share with us?
0: Uh, one rule I live by is the golden rule, you do unto others as you have them to do unto you. And if something you do is going to harm somebody else. You just don't do it. And you respect every everyone, not someone, everyone. If you see a, a a bum on the street, well, I don't expect to see a bum, not a guy on the street, and you don't know why he's homeless. He hmm. might not have a home. You Do you know why he's not homeless? No. No. It could have been his own doing or it could have been circumstances. <laughs> You say a prayer for him. You don't have to always give him money, but if you can spare it, give him a dollar. Don't let him get close to you, throw it to him, because he might, he might come up and hit you and take the rest of your money. You have to look out for you. What else? Be, well, it's all, it's all combined. Be kind to everyone. Because when people ask me, well, man, what's your secret? How do you get that old? Well, it's not a secret. It'd be kind and it wasn't since i got old i was kind to other people when i was a kid this has been my uh motto to be kind
1: jimmy many years ago i was on the road with my friend david rotunda who's a musician and your song came on the car radio and he pulled off to the side of the highway and said you got to hear this and we listened to you playing Cold Cold Feeling. And, and he just said, you have to listen to this. This is great. And ever since that moment, I have been a huge fan of yours. And I gained a fan with Cold Cold Feeling.
0: <laughs> and I didn't write that
1: song. No, I know that, but you sang that song like you owned it. Well, now,
0: that's another thing I always tried to do. Well, mostly, mostly I did it. If I sang that song, I'm going to make that song my song, not the way you did it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to say, well, I'm going to sing this song just like so-and-so. Well, I see people do that, but that, that wasn't me. I'm going to sing that song the way I want to sing it. Right. And just put myself
1: into it. And it was that that made me a fan of yours. And it's always a thrill to Thanks. see you. Um, this is like three or four times that I've seen you. I am thrilled to be able to sit and chat with you, even though it's a little noisy, but... Um, well, it's quiet now. <laughs> it is quiet now. Um, you have a gig in, in less than an hour. I thank you so yeah, much I'm for doing
0: this. I'm going to set my equipment and,
1: and meditate. Yes. I thank you so much meditate. for doing this. It means a Man, lot to me. it's been my pleasure. Thank you.